Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast, episode 80, podcast episode 70, for the week ending April 30th, 2021. A lot of great stuff, a lot of detail today. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, you may want to check out the videocast after you're done just to see some of the charts that we're going to go through. You can do that at hedgefundtips.com. It'll be one of the first few posts that come up. But uh, as always, we're going to kick it off with our media spots for the week, get through some key points there, and then get right on to the sector rotation, some op opportunities that we're taking advantage of, and some things that you may be able to benefit from. So uh, first, I'd like to thank Nicole Petalides and Declan Murphy for having me on the TD Ameritrade Network this week. Uh, they have quite a few people that tune into their uh, platform from Schwab and from TD Ameritrade, so uh, always great to be on the show. And in this segment, we covered the uh, part of the big tech earnings. It was after Microsoft and Google had reported. And the question Nicole asked me was, uh, why was Google up or Alphabet up and Microsoft was down even though they both had good earnings? And the key with all of this is expectations. So in the case of Microsoft, expectations were very high going into earnings. Um, they exceeded those expectations on some fronts, uh, but then sold off. It was trading at 35 times earnings into the print. Uh, its 10-year average historical multiple is about 28 times. So it was a, a short-term sell the news event. And it kind of reminded me of the Apple earnings from Q1. If you remember on January 27th, uh, Apple reported quote-unquote perfect earnings. And then the stock subsequently sold off almost 20% over the next few weeks. Similar type of situation by the rumor sell the news. And uh, so that's probably going to consolidate for a little while before moving higher. And the other aspect uh, on Google, for instance, the expectations were low because they depend on travel, leisure, and hospitality. Advertising uh, is a large part of their sales, so expectations were very low. They were trading at a 32 times multiple into earnings versus a 10-year average of 25 times. However, earnings beat so materially $26.29 a share versus 15.60 estimated that when you look at the forward run rate, that, that multiple is actually going to come down below their 10-year average or somewhere in the range of their 10-year average. So while uh, Microsoft beat, their multiple is still high and it's, it's cooling off, whereas uh, Alphabet beat by such a large margin that the multiple is actually now compressing uh, and the price can go up because earnings are going up so dramatically and, and that run rate, you know, from 60 to effectively 100, uh, although it varies by quarter, but, but the point is that... Um, uh, the multiple was reasonable. Now, I think the big story, there are three divisions for each of the of the companies. In the case of Alphabet, they've got Google Services, which is the ads. Uh, they were uh, expected to be up 25%. They were up 33%. YouTube was the big story. Um, they were up 48.7%. But you have to think, uh, YouTube just two years ago had 73% of adults watching their station, uh, their their website. Today it's 83, 81%. So from 73% to 81%, that's number one. Number two is 
a billion hours a day of content are being watched on YouTube. It's estimated their forward run rate is going to be about $30 billion of revenue. Now compare that to Netflix. 400 million hours a day of content is being consumed and their revenues are expected to be $29.7 billion. So on a standalone basis, leave the rest of Google aside, YouTube alone could be a bigger business than Netflix. Uh, and it's obviously at a much lower multiple now trading in line with the 10-year average. Uh, so so that, that was the big story uh, from Google. And um, their Google Cloud grew, but it's a tiny part of their business still. It uh, was expected to do 4.07 billion. It did 4.05 billion. Uh, so they're growing up 46%, but it's still small relative to Microsoft Azure and uh, Amazon Web Services. As far as Microsoft, they have three different divisions as well, productivity and business processes. And I think this is also part of the reason that uh, you saw a little softness after earnings. Their revenues on that division were expected to be 13.48. They came in at 13.4, it was up 13% on the uh, year on year. And But their LinkedIn was a big growth story, up 23%. They've now got 45.7 million people on MSF, MS Microsoft uh, 365. That's the consumer version. The commercial version is Office 365. Um, and then on the Azure side, and I also think this is why it was a little soft after earnings, 14.9 billion was expected. They got 14.6. Azure was up 50% year on year. Um, but it was also up 50% year-on-year last quarter. So there was some murmuring that the growth rate is starting to slow. I think that may be an overblown fear, number one. Number two, they're growing 50% year-on-year, put it in perspective. Uh, and finally, their Xbox was up 40%. But the big beat was on... Uh, um, uh, in terms of percentage, I mean, Xbox w was big... Both of these companies are going to return a tremendous amount of capital, a lot of buybacks, 10 billion. They did 10 billion of, uh, of uh, return of capital last quarter, 5.8 billion in buybacks for Microsoft, 4.2 billion in dividends. Um, the travel, leisure, and hospitality businesses will start to come back and spend. And uh, Azure has an advantage over AWS in that uh, people have the Teams and the Office 365 embedded, so it's easier to integrate and sell it as a bundle. Whereas if you're buying, you know, charging cords on Amazon or books on Amazon, it doesn't mean you're going to necessarily. There's no there's no synergy with you using AWS. AWS is just a commodity product. Um, so, but but doing well is uh, also on the Alphabet side. They did a 50 billion dollar buyback authorization. So there's going to be a lot of return of capital moving forward uh, in these groups. We're going to talk about Apple uh, a little later in this um, in this podcast video cast because th there's some nuances and I and I came came in skeptical and it seemed to be bearing out correctly. Um, but we'll take it day by day. So again, thank you to Nicole and Declan for having me back on TD Ameritrade. Uh, moving right along, I want to thank um, Shivani Kumarasan and Sriyasi Sanyal for having me in their Reuters article. This was, I guess, on Tuesday. And the quote was, the market's in a holding pattern waiting for big tech earnings. We could see a bifurcated result in tech earnings with ad providers like Facebook and Google doing quite well very well while Apple coming against uh, coming up against some very tough comparisons year on year. Um, 
so we'll we'll parse that out. I mean, the story with Apple, I mean, the earnings were absolutely phenomenal. But the question is, and I've said this in, in many podcasts in the last couple months, after those quote unquote perfect earnings in January is where's the next growth catalyst going to come from? They're fumbling the ball on the car. I'm sure they'll have some big announcement on that this year, but I, I do think, you know, talks broke down with Hyundai. It's a huge investment. They're way behind, you know, five to 10 years behind the curve. So it's going to take a long time to catch up before you can start to price that in. Uh, service, you know, actually handsets were better than services. But again, they don't really have a huge ad business, and now their cash cow services is being threatened in a material way, which we'll talk about uh, in 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 just a little bit. So, uh, secondly, second, I want to thank. Uh, this was also an article, a quote in Reuters yesterday. Uh, where I said Apple and Microsoft both had high expectations. And while they did exceed consensus estimates, a lot, a lot of it was priced in. So there's some profit taking coming in. Uh, and that's really the story here. Nothing wrong. They have to consolidate in the case of Microsoft. Uh, Apple, again, I think that could be a different story. And we're going to parse that out in, in this call. A uh, couple, there are a few Good quotes of the day I put up this week, and I think they're going to be appropriate based on what we talk about today. Uh, Joel Greenblatt, um, the secret to investing is to figure out the value of something and then pay a lot less. And then I think that ties in with Charlie Munger. The wise ones bet heavily when the world offers them that opportunity. The big They bet big when they have the odds, and the rest of the time they don't. It's just that simple. And that's interesting. Um, Considering uh, this week there was a headline article by Carlton English over at Barron's, why Wells Fargo is a must-owned stock. And now we know that the sentiment is turning after it's up almost 100% now uh, from the low 20s. Uh, when we were pounding the table, the low to mid-20s last year, now it's, uh, I think it closed over 56 50 today or something. Uh, I'm sorry, 46.50. So we're getting up close to $50 a share, uh, up from 22 to 25 range, where we were really on top of it with the Cobra Kai article and everything else. So sentiment is changing here. I, I think there's a tremendous amount of juice left in this stock uh, over the next few years. I think in, in the short term, there'll be an opportunity um, you know, as, as more and more people come in, uh, as the position gets, you know, lopsidedly large in the portfolio from all the gains, uh, to, to trim a little bit, but keep the core of it over the next few years. Cause I think this thing is going to be tremendous. You, you haven't even had the asset cap lift yet. You haven't even had, um, you know, real demand. The reopenings just started. They've got, uh, the highest efficiency rate in the, in the business, meaning the highest cost they can pull another 10, 10 billion of costs out. So many good things in place. They also, uh, because of the asset cap, ironically, uh, they are not overwhelmed with deposits, which is ironically hurts you uh, based on capital ratios, et cetera. So they're actually better positioned than JP Morgan and Bank of America because of the punishment. Who would have thought better to be lucky than to be good? Uh, but uh, so everything's lining up for them. Very exciting to see the change of sentiment after it's up 100%. And, um, and to Carlton's credit, by the way, she in July was was one of the only people other than myself and I think that's basically it maybe one other uh talking about Cecil 
and how the accounting changed, how they had to overstate credit reserves, and all those are coming back as earnings. Uh, very few people were on top of that, and uh, so give Carlton a lot of credit because she was there in the beginning, and now she's there when, when the momentum is just getting started. So uh, great job on that front. And then um, there, here's an article, no surprises in President Biden's reported capital gains proposal. A 28% rate looks most likely Goldman Sachs. So, you know, last week I was uh, quoted in Reuters, you know, when the, they announced this 43% nonsense, uh, the market sold off, like the Dow rather, sold off the 300 points. And Reuters called me up. I said, uh, you know, if it actually had a chance of passing, we'd be down 2,000 points. And uh, I think that's that's going to prove to be the case. Uh, one, the vast, vast majority of money is institutional uh, anyway, so the the capital gains rate doesn't matter. Number two, um, initially it's only going to be for the very wealthy. But if you do the math, you could double the tax, all the taxes on the wealthy, and you still wind up at less than a third of what Biden needs to put out all of his plans. So um, they're coming for the middle class. It's just no one knows it yet. And, uh, and, and actually they do because uh, it starts at 400000 per household, which was not what was campaigned on it was if you don't earn more than four hundred thousand your taxes won't go up uh now it's a household so if you got you know a wife making 300 and a husband making 100 or 200 each uh you know on the coasts that's that's you know it that's you know it, it it's 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 good but it's it's not you know, when you start having to give 59% to the government between state and local, it gets, uh, it's, it's a different story. So, um, so look, this is going to come in uh, more moderate on the capital gains. It only affects, I think, about 170, I think it was $178 billion of assets. So it's, it's really de minimis as it relates to the stock market. The rate's going to be a lot less than people expect. Um, and, uh, and that's the story there. The other thing that I, I thought was really interesting, I heard a stat in the last 24 hours that if Biden gets half of his, I'm sorry, if he gets, a, okay, what, between what's been done and what he's asking for in the family plan and the infrastructure plan, et cetera, if he only gets half of what is on the table with the infrastructure and the um, and the family plan, which, you know, largely he can push whatever he wants through through reconciliation because they want everything. So um, so so it's probable. However, uh, both with the taxes, I uh, I'm cognizant of the fact that there are many centrist Democrats and sensible. Uh, thoughtful people in the House and the Senate that uh, are probably not going to let this go through at the ask. It'll be somewhere between the bid and the ask in the middle, and uh, and it'll be more sensible. But but assuming reason prevails, which I think it will, both on the tax rates uh, and on the spending being more moderate. Uh, this is going to be so so if he got 100% of his ask it would be dramatically larger than FDR's new deal in inflation adjusted terms the dollar amount of the spend is more dramatically more than was spent during the great depression by FDR 
And if he gets half of what he's asking for, half of the new spending in the family plan and in the uh, infrastructure plan, it's still larger than FDR's New Deal during the Great Depression. So why am I emphasizing this? I'm emphasizing this because the economy is growing. Uh, things are in place. The vaccines are going along as, as scheduled. The cases are coming down. The deaths are coming down dramatically. We're going to hit critical mass probably in the next one to two to three months where it just falls off the map uh, in a good way. So this amount of spending is concerning, and people are obviously setting themselves up uh, uh, for inflation hedges. You're seeing it in the real estate markets. I talked to you about the hotel markets. You're seeing it in commodities hitting all-time high. Uh, this is a wish list of um, a political and soci uh, social ideology, which, you know, you can agree with or disagree with. It may be right. It may be wrong. And and. I think everyone's all for helping everyone who needs it, and, I, and, and that's very, very important. But you also have to spend within the realm of reason. There has to be some math attached to the ideas. And, um, you know, what we're seeing now with the GDP growth we're seeing, you know, it's going to be north of 9% by the time the year is over uh, and everything else. And that's with the packages that are already approved and rolling out just kicking in they, they, we don't even have this six to nine month lag on some of the packages that are already out and we're seeing this level of inflation then to add another three four trillion dollars on top of it it's it's uh it's imprudent to put it mildly so um so just keep an eye on these numbers so so the point is you you want to be in real assets like you don't want to be in cash in this environment and i'm not a hyperinflationist i'm not a gold bug i'm not a hide under the shelf and you know get cans of food and all that stuff I, we're not going there there are disinflationary forces part of its demography although the millennials are bigger than the baby boomers now so that that story is not holding as well um a lot of its techno technological advances that that's disinflationary and that's a, that's positive and constructive and productivity. Uh, so there will be some offsets. It's not going to be runaway. Certainly, the Fed has some tools to slow it down as it starts to get ahead of it. The question is, how far behind the curve is he going to get? And he told us this week he's going to get as far behind the curve as humanly possible. Uh, but his heart and intent is correct which is he saw what happened during the great financial crisis. He does not want structural unemployment where, you know, a bunch of people in their mid forties and mid fifties can never get a job again because they got pushed out due to COVID and they never get back in. Cause there's a bunch of them that, that happened in, uh, um, you know, in, in the 2008 to 2016 period and they never really returned. And that's why you had the opioid, uh, part of the reason you had mass opioid epidemic, uh, you have massive amounts of people go on long-term disability. Uh, you know, miraculously, we had all of these people that became, you know, chronically disabled like we've never had in percentages. And the reason is, is because there was no way back in. So there was structural unemployment. And Powell saw that and he decided that I, I'll let this thing run hot. You know, if you got to pay $15 for a hero sandwich instead of $9.95, that's what's going to happen. So we can make sure everyone's working, even, even if it's twice as much at the tank, even if, you know, it becomes difficult to get into a new house for, for first time home buyers, uh, at least everyone will be working. And, and I think there's 
immense merit to that because the value and the dignity of work is significant and um, you can deal with inflation over time and we know we have the tools historically to do that. Uh, the question is the short-term pain that you experience when you do rein it in, but uh, I'm with him. So we know what's coming. I think on the fiscal side, the voices of reason will come to bear and it won't be so dramatic. It'll be something in between. And that should more than offset the middle ground on the higher personal taxes and the higher corporate taxes that'll offset any losses from that. So I think when all is said and done, we'll have modest inflation that won't be transient. We'll have continued growth. And then um, over the next five to seven years, we will grow our way out of you know 120% plus debt to GDP as we did post-World War II when we borrowed to fight a visible enemy. In this case, we borrowed to fight an invisible enemy, but we don't want to be reckless about it uh, in terms of when we look at it compared to what we did in the middle of a depression, which we didn't have this time. We had a recession, um, although it could have been a depression if not for Steven Mnuchin, by the way, all-star player, and Larry Kudlow and Nancy Pelosi, by the way, she got it done as well. Uh, so what they came to, to do in, in March and early April saved this from a long-term Great Depression. So hats off to that bipartisan cooperation in the crisis. And they did a massive plan, the most massive plan ever. So to keep doing that size plan over and over and over when we're out of the woods, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think cooler heads will prevail. So uh, the other good thing that came out of all these other announcements from the administration is that pre prescription drug price cuts set to be left out of the White House proposal. So that's now off the table, although the market is not really acknowledging that yet, and they will. So, And when will they acknowledge that? They're going to acknowledge that, for instance, Merck sold off like crazy today on earnings. They missed on top and bottom line. Why did they miss? Because doctor visits were, were still dramatically impaired, and two-thirds of what they manufacture and produce can only be administered via a doctor visit. So it has to be doctor um, administered in person, 66% of the drugs that they make. So of course their sales were down. But when you look at the back half of the year and people go back to their doctors, they stop worrying about COVID, they start worrying about cancer and heart, high blood pressure and uh, cholesterol and all the, the maintenance things that you have to do to stay healthy, those prescriptions are gonna go through the roof. And it's not just gonna be Merck, it's gonna be all these companies right now that are being handed to us on a silver platter, uh, manna from heaven. And most people, like always, Wall Street is the only place when they hold a sale, no one shows up. And that's what's happening in, in Big Pharma. And we took advantage of it this week. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. Um, okay, one of the meme stocks is off to the races. Nokia earnings were surprisingly good. The stock is soaring. Look, this is a play. The new CEO, um, Pekka Lundmark, has, uh, was very successful in his past uh, careers, and he's come over. He's shaken the tree in Nokia. Huge 5G play behind Ericsson. Uh, this is great to see. I think there's actually a great thesis here. It was nice to see them finally beat. It looks like it's finally coming out of a long-term slumber where you can get exposure to uh, a business that's going to be in enormous demand over the next five to ten years. It's kind of an oligopoly business globally. And now that they've got the right leader at the helm, I think this uh, breakout is real. I don't think this is a fake out. I think this thing's going to run. 
Northrop Grumman, uh, in, in terms of defense stocks, they beat and, and raised guidance, so that's good. You're, you're seeing the defense stocks come out of their slumber. Uh, Royal Dutch Shell gain, raised the dividend, beat, uh, and uh, they're doing good. Chevron and Exxon. McDonald's revenue tops pre-pandemic levels fueled by the strong U.S. recovery. Yeah, that's helped, number one. Number two, 150,000 restaurants have gone out of business because the, the government shut them down. Uh, so... Uh, you know, by the way, if you're a good cook, th there's probably never been a better time in the history of the United States to start a new restaurant. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I love uh, Guy Fieri, uh, uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives. When we travel, we try to hit all the spots that he's been to. Uh, and my eldest daughter loves to watch it with me. Uh, but uh, now's the time. So I think that as uh, certainly all of the big chains uh, will be in the driver's seat for the next few quarters. But as small bit as small businesses start to reopen, new restaurants start to reopen, they'll gain back share, and uh, and you can peel out of some of these that have had huge runs uh, in anticipation of that. Uh, okay, this is the big story on Apple. We talked about this actually the first time I was in Tampa, which was in December. And I, I did a segment for CGTN about the Digital Services Act in the EU, if you recall. Uh, and I said, this is going to be a big headwind because what they said in that, uh, this is the lady, uh, yeah, Mar Marguerite Vestigar. You'll remember the name. I covered it in December on the podcast video cast. Um, they're basically saying, you know, they're going after anti-monopolistic tendencies and uh, their penalty is up to 10% of revenues. And if you recall, I said, this is effectively just, you know, this is just a shakedown for money. When you cut through it all, it's like a huge honeypot. They want their piece. They don't have big tech in Europe. They want a piece of the action. In the last administration, they said, you're not taking money from our tech companies. If anyone's going to take money from them, it's going to be us. And that's why we started all the investigations at the Justice Department, et cetera. And, and, and that's that. I think with the new administration, these, you know, these groups, uh, the European commissioner is going to have more free reign to do what she wants. Uh, and we're seeing it starting today, which it didn't happen uh, for four years uh, otherwise. And her first huge target is now Apple. And this is a material claim that she's making that the agreements, the app developers have to pay 30% commission on all subscription fees that come to the app store. Uh, this, you know, this is very interesting because I think they have a very solid case. I mean, effectively, Apple says, because a lot of people use our phone, no matter what your business is, we get a 30% cut. It, it reminds me of like the mafia, you know, protection in the neighborhood. It's like, you know, <laughs> if you don't pay us a, por a portion of your top line, you're going to have problems. Uh, you know, you need our protection. It's like, wait, I never had any problems before you came in. Well, it's the same thing with the EU commission. They're saying you're going to have to pay us uh, and, and work this out. A and Apple is saying, hey, if you want access to you know, all of the, the customers around the world, you got to pay us for, for that access, which I think is kind of, you know, there should be another way that these companies should be, the peop, the consumer should be able to go to their website and down, download an app, whether they have an Apple phone 
or a uh, Android phone, um, even if they can't get it through the convenience of the app store, they should be able to go to a browser and download it to their phone. Uh, so if the EU is successful with this, this risks a material portion of the services business, which is the whole growth story moving forward. And uh, so obviously it's going to take years to fight this out. Apple has a tremendous uh, uh, reserve to fight it, legal reserves, but the case is pretty compelling. Uh, certainly if you're a developer, you agree with this. As a consumer, your cost of using most of these apps would go down if Apple wasn't the middleman. They provide no value add whatsoever. I mean, the, the app is developed. If, if you could get it off the website of the individual, like Spotify or whatever, what what benefit does does, what value add does Apple provide by just being the gatekeeper absolutely zero so definitely those margins are going to compress if not be entirely eliminated and then the growth story is completely changed and i think that's why you're seeing this headwinds and i knew this was lurking in the background certainly we had the antitrust in the u.s and all the states that we've been talking about with big tech but you know that that was a lot of like theatrics you know come come for a hearing let's berate you we'll meet in another three months and we'll meet right before the election and yell at you and do nothing uh but Europe does not have that obligation to do nothing because they have no political interest in Apple. Apple, you know, it, so uh, we have to watch this because this is a pretty strong case. And I think that the market will start to discount the possibility of this. It'll apply some probability, which is the headwind, despite quote unquote perfect earnings. And the, the stock could drift down, I think, in anticipation of this. And until they get a new growth catalyst to displace this this huge material risk to the business which if ruled against them in europe you can be sure in the united states developers are going to be pushing to get parry pursue treatment and in asia so that whole services revenue becomes becomes an issue and as the stock sinks and then of course they'll come out with the big material car announcement and people start to look forward to that because that's a much bigger business and a whole operating system for the car and yada 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 and people will forget about the phone and then the stock will go back up but i think before then this this is a big big deal and it was down a little bit today on this but uh i think this kind of starts to explain why after that january 27th peak we've not hit new highs despite this continued quote-unquote good news and um and that's why i've been a little bit you know um cautious on this one for for some time okay goldman sachs sees 80 dollar oil this year that's good news from their lips to god's ears i hope so we've got plenty of uh, energy exposure from last year that's doing great we'll talk a, a little bit about that as uh, as we move forward here's another story uh apple's earnings were spectacular why its stock has dropped um and they're not even mentioning the um the real risk, which is the services risk, Sakanagi, who's a great analyst on this, said, will there be a trough on the other side as COVID-driven wallet share shift returns to normal? We think the answer is unequivocally yes. It's just hard to know when, how big that might be. We believe that iPad and Mac strength could persist for the next few quarters. But even if the work from home trend persists, we doubt the surge will rival this year's. So that was what I'd been talking about. The, a lot of demand was pulled forward in Q2 of last year with work from home and with uh, study from home, and that's going to go away. Also, you had huge stimulus checks in fourth quarter and first quarter. 
uh, of this year. So that's done for now. Um, uh, so, so he makes a salient case on that point, but the real risk I think is the risk to that 30%, you know, <laughs> protection fee, that mafia protection fee, adding zero value to the business and yet taking a huge cut, uh, of the developer's action is just crazy. So, uh, they're coming for it now, Apple versus Epic. So this is the U S version of that exact same antitrust lawsuit, which now the EU commission has said is valid. And this is just going to be the same version in the U.S. And if the EU does something about it, that's going to influence, probably create precedent for the U.S. Uh, Exxon and Chevron surged back to profit. That was good to see. And we'll look at their what their stock looks like um, uh, in just a minute. Uh, this is from Ryan Dietrich. Personal savings back up to more than $6 trillion. There were stimulus checks, I believe, in the last four weeks. This is the second highest ever to the first stimulus check, which was in early uh, or mid-2020. It's a lot of cash on the sidelines. Uh, so certainly some of this will go into the stock market. A lot of it's going to go into the uh, marketplace, into spending, uh, and that'll be a very positive thing. So it's good to see that number that was out today. And then this is from um, uh, Michael Hartnett over at Bank of America. He does the Global Fund Manager Survey, but he had a note out, and he said uh, cash sees largest weekly inflows since March 20th, uh, March of 2020. Now, if you remember March of 2020, that was the bottom um, of the stock market. Cash funds attracted the largest inflows at 57.3 billion in the week through April 28th. Bonds drew. 13.7 billion and equities received 10.5 billion. Investors are positioning for inflation and tapering, right? Strategist led by Michael Hartnett, also citing strong inflows into bank loans at 3.9 billion in the last four weeks. Bank loans are um, uh, the interest rate adjusts, so people are are uh, getting ready for rates to go higher. So they want to be in instruments where uh, they don't lose half their principal as rates go up. Uh, and case for inflation building with asset price inflation now mutating into real estate, commodities, and CEAFE and emerging markets. So Europe and emerging market cyclicals offering inflation heads for equity investors. Inflows to European equities continued for a second week with $1.3 billion. Private client exposure stands at 64.3% stocks, 182 debt, 11.3% cash, which is high. That's, you know, there's a wall of worry narrative in that as well that the higher it goes, the more it's going to force that in. Uh, we might be due for a breather here. We'll get into that in a little more detail. But again, since day one of this year, we've been saying ignore the general indices, look for the rallies under the surface, and that's what we've done. That's our knitting. We've played the sector rotation, and we're going to delve into that in great detail moving forward. Um, largest weekly outflow, largest weekly equity outflow since June 2019 on capital gains tax announcement. Okay, so that was a knee-jerk reaction, I think, from a lot of people, and institutions haven't moved any money on that basis because they're not at the effect. Some high net worth people, the, the biggest stocks that will uh, be impacted by the um, larger capital gains, which is not going to be 43%. Again, I think it'll be closer to 28 if that. Uh, and that's for, again, the top uh, three-tenths of 1%, um, which is about 500,000 households. It's about $178 billion. So it's not an enormous amount of households, but it does dramatically impact you know, venture capital, uh, people with options, um, you know, all these people that are working startups, 
it's huge and and it, and it will really hurt investment into new businesses because people think about how it, it, so it's going to have widespread impacts that's the bad news the good news is the number is not going to be 43 it's probably going to be in the 20s if that so that's good news uh qu another quote from benjamin graham in the short term the market's a voting machine but in the long run it's a weighing machine so let's take a look at some of the voting versus weighing uh, last week, we talked about starting to get exposure to, um, you know, last year it was energy, banks, and uh, defense and aerospace. We pounded the table. Those have all done very nicely. Uh, eight weeks ago, it was utilities, um, staples, and big pharma. Those have had a great run. And then last week, we started with uh, very selectively lower conviction. So we're doing a wider basket some Chinese stocks that have been bitten, uh, beaten down, and then busted SPACs. What do I mean by that? It's largely, certainly some SPACs that have not announced a deal that have really good jockeys. We're betting on the jockey, um, like uh, really established people in their businesses like Terry Pegula. He owns the uh, Buffalo Sabres. He's made, uh, he's become a billionaire in the oil patch and he's done it through cycles where when no one wants it, he buys beaten down assets and then he flips them five years later to, to the big companies and that's how he made his billions. So he's got a SPAC that he's out in the market uh, looking to buy energy assets. That's the guy I want to bet on because I think we're at the early stages of a commodity cycle three to five years and a guy like that uh, will find a good asset and it will be a good thing. So something like ERESU, uh, -E we talked about these facts. So it had a, it had a nice, uh, decent move this week. I think this one did. Um, yeah, so it's starting to move, but you know, it had been basing here. This is what we call a busted SPAC. It, it, all these SPACs were hot on hype and now they've all crashed and that's when we get interested. We don't get involved when everyone's excited and everyone's clamoring for things. We get involved when there's value and it's left for dead and we see opportunity and it's a good business or a good jockey or ideally both. And in this case, it's our way to get long dated exposure, which we covered a lot last week, in uh, and we like these uh, long-dated warrants uh, because you can get exposure to some of these for a buck, a couple bucks for five to six years, and uh, you'll get the benefit of an announcement if they haven't done an announcement. And then with some of these that have done an announcement that have spiked up on the announcement and now rolled over. Why have they rolled over? Because you're in an information vacuum. They either haven't changed the ticker yet from the SPAC ticker to the new co ticker, so no one knows. Uh, or they, um, we did this with DraftKings, by the way, I think it was, um, you know, it was some weird ticker, no one was paying attention, it was announced, not this year, it was the year before, around Christmas time, no one was paying attention, they announced DraftKings, no one was paying attention, uh, you could get the warrants, the warrants wound up being like a 20x, uh, and probably more, we sold early, but, you know, bulls, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. The moral of the story is I think there are a lot of those opportunities again. So we're buying a huge basket because the, you know, more than 50% will fail, but the ones that work are 5x, 10x, 20x over the next one to five years. And um, it's, it, and because the baby's being thrown out with the bathwater, these SPACs uh, and SPAC warrants in particular, everyone's just dumping them. And I love that. So it shows 
you know, where we are and, uh, you know, so you can just see some of these. Uh, we've we've done a, a really big basket, PAE, FTCV, ACIC, o, OUST. This one started to rip this week. Um, PAE started to get a bid this week. DMS started to get a bid this week. SNPR, not a bid yet, but we, we bought that. FOA, we bought this week. It's ripped higher. So that's exciting to see. That's uh, Finance of America. They've got a really interesting story if you Google it. Um, LSEA, Land and Sea, they're a home developer. Why wouldn't you want a developer? There's no supply in the market. And uh, you can see what these guys do. Their warrants are a little strange. It's like a 10 for one. You might want to just buy the stock if you're interested. Uh, again, this is not, you know, an 80-year-old woman should not be buying SPAC warrants. So again, I deal with accredited investors. This is not investment advice. This is opinion. Talk with your financial advisor. Do your own due diligence. But I'm just telling you, you know, the things that we're looking at and the things that we're doing and why, we're, how we're thinking about it and uh, for informational and entertainment purposes only. Uh, okay, so this is uh, Terry Pegula's uh, SPAC here. And then uh, UWMC, look, this is a huge mortgage business. Um, uh, I want to be in this business for the next five years, hands down. This demand is not going away. We need supply from the home builders. We need um, uh, financing providers. That's why we love love Wells Fargo. Now it's become such a large position in our portfolio um, from appreciation. But this is another story, UWMC, that you can get long-dated exposure. And as this thing develops and as they continue to report growing earnings, I think the stock is trading at like, Six, seven or eight times. I haven't looked at it in a, a little bit, but um, this business is only going to grow. Obviously, it's competing with Rocket. There's a lot of competition, but there's going to be demand like we haven't seen in more than a decade. It's already showing up. And as the home builders put on supply, that demand is going to get bigger and bigger. And uh, and that's exciting. And then some clean energy things. Who knows what will work? Here's Fisker. They've been around forever doing uh, private placements, you know, burning through cash. But you know, if the government's going to subsidize it with $178 billion and put all these charging stations on, at least the narrative will play whether the businesses ultimately work. You know, I, you know, that's, that's just, uh, who knows, but you know, the businesses could work for a long time as that narrative plays out and you want to have some exposure. And if you can do so without putting a lot of capital out with getting long dated warrants when they're beat down and no one's paying attention to them, that's an opportunity of a lifetime. In my view, when you buy a basket and you do it in, in manageable and uh, prudent size. Uh, second thing we talked about between besides SPAC warrants and clean energy was that some high-quality China stocks have really been beaten down in the last uh, two months, and we love that. You know, when when the market sells things off 20 to 40, 50 percent, and the underlying business economics are still growing, uh, we want to get involved. So if the business is impaired and earnings have fallen off. Uh, and revenues are declining or slowing, we're not interested. Some things are cheap for a reason. But when it's done because of a, a, a narrative that the Chinese government's cracking down, and they are cracking down, but I think that's more than priced in with some of these stocks down over 50% in two months with growing earnings, growing revenue. So if so, what if they don't grow 40% a year? What if they only grow 15 or 20% a year? Uh, these are tremendous opportunity. You know, in China, it's always the Tesla of China, the... Netflix of China, the Amazon of China. So, uh, you know, 
all of these are the XYZ of China and we want to have exposure to them. We got just a huge basket because again, we don't have high conviction on any single one. You know, you could get a delisting of one, but the basket as a whole should be materially higher uh, next year, even if a few don't work. Uh, we got Baba, Douyu, Huya, IQ, Las Vegas Sands is now a pure play Asia. They sold off their U.S. assets. And Melco Crown is a uh, is a pure play Asia casino and resort. So we like this story as the vaccinations accelerate in China. And as that gets opened up, they've opened up the uh, they opened up a lot of the uh, uh, travel restrictions in uh, the end of last uh, fourth quarter and first quarter. So people are starting to now get to Macau. And that's going to be a, a huge cash cow pent up demand. Now, uh, the eight weeks ago, if you recall, the utilities, they just took off like a bat out of hell after um, we put out the article last week of February, first week of March. Uh, they've all just gone straight up. And then in the last week, they took a breather and we were saying this is an opportunity to buy. We think they've got another leg in them. And, you know, we'll see if this follows through. But the last two days, that's proven to be the case. Uh, they're now getting bids. So we had this monster move. Uh, weak consolidation, and now it looks like it wants to resume that trend. And our favorite two, our biggest holdings in the space, Dominion, which we've been talking about for eight weeks publicly and on the podcast, uh, and where's the other Dominion and AEP. So huge moves. One week consolidation, now it looks like it wants to make the next left. Same with Dominion, but they're all making a similar pattern, and there's a lot of good quality stuff here. So um, we're excited to see how that plays. And why that's also important, the utilities, staples, and pharma is they're defensive. So if we do come across some chop, some headwinds, and all that stuff, these are going to outperform because that's where institutional money goes to hide. Um, okay, the next group of defenses is... Um, Consumer staples. So we're looking at the household and personal care products. This is manna from heaven. Uh, these sell-offs, um, like you saw Kimberly Clark because people stopped using, they bought every piece of toilet paper under the sun. So year on year, their sales were down. We used this opportunity to top up big this week on Kimberly Clark. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. In our view, I, this is let, let's not let's clarify that Wells Fargo was an opportunity of a lifetime last year that we said that's turned out to be true this is a great opportunity it's not an opportunity of a lifetime it's a great opportunity and uh, I think Clorox by the way today I think that's going to prove to play out uh, nicely as well I think that's kind of interesting moving forward Colgate actually beat so they you know had their huge run consolidated for two weeks and now they seem to be back on the way up uh, same with a lot of these. They had Procter and Gamble had two-week consolidation. Now, now it seems to be on the way back up. Kimberly Clark, I think that's a unique situation. You got a second bite at the apple, and uh, and we took it. Um, okay, what is this? This is utilities again. Okay, so that's not what we want. Let's just see here. Uh, okay, so that's drugs. Okay, we want drugs. We want uh, pharmas, big pharma. Okay, so let's get that. All right, good. So um, Merck, we covered this, by the way. And this this group has been the laggard group in the utility staples and uh, big pharma. I think this is a huge opportunity. These are all trading at certainly below market multiples, most of them around 10 to 12 times, some of them even in single digits. Um, Pfizer has had a great run since that March low. 
from 33 to it got up to close to 40. Now it's pulled back for a couple of days and I think it started to resume today. So yeah, again, thir uh, from 33 up to 39 and a half in, a, in six weeks and then it pulled back, consolidated and now it seems like it wants to make another move higher. Um, I think Merck is gonna be another opportunity to get exposure there. Biogen, again, you see these since last year. If you look out at the longer dated chart, there's still huge opportunity. GlaxoSmithKline, by the way, the one that Elliott took a multi-billion dollar stake in as an activist, that's going to be an opportunity. Gilead today was down on earnings, huge in the morning. We took that opportunity to get exposure uh, longer dated, and uh, we think that's going to be a decent play. Their HIV has some headwinds, but they have so many different partnerships. Uh, cash and other opportunities going on plus their remdesivir is doing well that's probably going to sell a ton in india with the case spikes a lot of good things happening here and then uh, novartis is our favorite by the way and this thing was weak i think this is an opportunity for some time we've covered it a lot in recent weeks on the um uh on the podcast and on tv and if you take a look at the long dated uh, chart of Novartis, besides the fact that it trades at a historic multiple of 22 times, it's now trading at 12 times. You get a dividend yield two and a half times the 10-year yield. You've got a great pipeline. You've got two blockbuster drugs that as soon as the uh, second half patient visits go normalized, these prescriptions are going to go through the roof. Market's going to start to sniff that out. But look, you've had a five-year, six-year consolidation in this stock basically gone sideways. The last time you had that was from 2007 to 2012, and then it just took off like a bat out of hell. You had it again in the early 2000s, a five-year consolidation, and then it just took off. So in this case, it nearly doubled over the next few years. In this case, 40 to 77, so nearly doubled over the next couple of years. And it just looks like it's breaking out here. And I think this stock, I don't know about double, but I don't think that uh, 140 or 150 is, is out of the question. I think this is an incredible opportunity and you're paid to wait. And that's why we got more exposure this week on the on the weakness. We love this group and we love this stock. So um, so that's what we're doing. Again, you know, do your own due diligence, talk with your own financial advisor. Uh, but we're just telling you how we're thinking about things. Here are some of the generics. VTRS, by the way, Viatris. This stock has been in the doghouse. This is the old Mylan. They've got the EpiPin. I know there was a problem of pricing with that. They've got a generic business. All the generics have been in the tank. I think they're going to come back in demand. You've got to have a longer-term view. Just buy the stock. Don't buy, any, uh, don't buy uh, as much you know, premium because you got to get the timing right. But I think as you look three, four years out, some of these are going to be doubles, triples, quadruples. Teva is starting to get a bid. VTRS. Takata is the Japanese version. I think there's some value in these groups in the generics. But certainly the brand names, the big pharma, we have huge exposure. Uh, we have exposure to uh, Pfizer. Pfizer and Novartis are two biggest. And we started to use weakness to add some of these others that are great opportunities. And... Um, uh, we'll continue to do so. Um, okay, so moving along, and again, just to take a look at that Novartis again, I mean, this is just, uh, you know, this is a work of art. I, sh I should make it an NFT and sell it for $100 million or whatever they're doing with these crazy... Okay, so nonetheless, um, all right, moving along to 
Our other groups, uh, what is this? This is energy, so just an update on energy. You know, if you look at these refiners, they, they're, um, they're up huge since November. They've consolidated the last few weeks. It looks like they're ready to go again. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, same thing, Petrobras. You've got BP. They're all reporting great earnings. Valero. Um, uh, Royal Dutch Shell reported great earnings. So again, they've had these huge moves. Uh, basically, what, 22 to 44. So they went up like 100% in six months. They've consolidated for a few weeks, waiting to make the next leg higher. Uh, as you can see, let me just put this out on a monthly basis. These things are really just getting going for the most part um what else are we looking for so bp same type same story beat suncor i mean these are all high quality names um occidental exxon mobil and chevron beat today these are just getting started slumberger the best servicer in, in the area they're just getting started so so there's still tremendous opportunity despite the fact that many are up you know 80 100 125 percent they still have a long way to go in our view uh banks banks have been monsters um but they look like they have some more bid to them here as that 10-year creeps back up uh as i said the other last week i think it was the commercials were buying but not in a not in a size that i i thought represented a real bottom i thought it was an intermediate term counter trend rally which has so far shown to be the case uh the 10-year ticked back up from 150 to 165 and banks have been the beneficiary wells fargo with being the bi biggest beneficiary in the last week or so uh city looks like it's consolidating here for a next leg higher uh what is a bank of america actually broke out here so again the these there's just so much opportunity under the surface and then uh northrop grumman it wasn't too long ago i was saying there's still opportunity here get involved lockheed martin they were down in this area the beginning of the year we were pounding the table on these raytheon's now breaking out here boeing i think this is an opportunity this short-term consolidation investigation you know it's at some point you know when you have 100 investigations people start to tune it out when the stock, stock stops going down on bad news you got to get exposure so i think this is going to be an opportunity and uh and some areas but look at look at general dynamics this thing was in the doghouse we were pounding the table no one wanted it now that it's up here people are starting to get interested so uh, you know that's just the way it works and um i love this game it this game is it, it's not a game but i mean this is the greatest business in the world i mean it, it's like a treasure hunt every single day of the year so anyway moving along chuck berry's riding along stock market <laughs> the reason i chose this song is because if you look at the last uh, two or three weeks the market has basically been going sideways it's like watching paint dry and his uh lyrics were cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go uh that's that's what it certainly felt like i think that's probably going to change we'll see how that shakes out uh covered the um show with nicole already and then uh and then we talked about what happened after the last perfect earnings report with apple on january 27th and the sell-off afterwards which we had uh spoken about and um uh, and then here we are i think we traded down to like 131 after these perfect earnings 
So it seems to be repeating that perfect earnings and then sell-off, and we've gone through the key reason is not that the stimmy checks are running out. That's part of it. It's if that service revenue gets impaired, their whole growth story is toast, So, um, which means they're a great business and going to be around forever and going to continue to grow, but not at the same rate, which means the multiple, which is seven turns above their 10-year average, is going to normalize and come down to where their growth level will be if those service revenues, which was the growth story, gets impaired until they get a new growth story, which will be the car. But you can't just say we're talking to Hyundai and thinking everyone's going to believe the story. You actually have to have a signed up deal and a real plan to spend $200 billion to make it happen, which uh, which they will have. I just don't, I, you know, you, they're, they're five years late. So when they do it, they're going to try to do it right. Hopefully it won't be another Apple TV debacle. Uh, but they can't afford to have that, so I think they, they'll be fine. You know, they didn't create the first smartphone, by the way. There were um, tablets in the 90s that you could touch pads and everything else, so there were plenty of people that came out before them. They just got it right. They think that they can do that with the car. That's fine. The question is, where will the stock be when they finally do make that announcement? And that might be one of the greatest generational opportunities to buy Apple if it does trade down material over the next few months on this digital services and on this major threat to its business model in our view. Uh, okay, so uh, now we talked about what will happen next. It's hard to say for Apple, but for the NASDAQ with Facebook, Google, Microsoft, all showing secular strength, there may be some gas in the tank, whether Apple participates or not. And we talked to, you know, we pointed to a couple of these indicators. We looked bullish percent composite, you know, it's not elevated. It's certainly higher than average, but this is not the level that things necessarily roll over from. This is the level that you start to worry about. And that's where we did see those big 20% corrections and some stocks were down 40 plus percent some of the SaaS stocks etc some of the new IPOs are have gotten pounded so that's kind of in the question is is there another leg lower here uh, I, I I don't I don't know I mean Apple I think is going to be a headwind but it was for since August effectively it's it's not done a lot so um, I think the market can do fine I think the Nasdaq can do fine I think some of these beaten down SaaS stocks can start to get a bid and that'll probably keep this normalized without you know, collapsing and maybe even take a leg higher here. That, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, same thing with the McClellan summation for the NASDAQ. Again, it's closer to where you have an inflection upward versus where you roll over. Um, okay, we took our own advice on April 8th, added some selected tech stock in recent days and weeks. Here's what we said. We'll look for very selective opportunities in tech and SaaS, particularly in stocks that have fallen 20 to 40% in the last few weeks and be less impacted by tough comps for Q1 and Q2. This is not a wholesale call on tech as we believe certain pockets will continue to face headwinds. And then, um, you know, we talked about utility staples and, uh, and banks and energy. And then here's energy, by the way. Banks and energy, to, oh, so the reason we re-quoted this is because um, we said on April 8th, we continue to hold banks, energy, and defense stocks uh, from much lower levels last year and would not be surprised if they continue to take a breather before resuming their uptrend and new highs later this year. Well, that's exactly what happened. We did get the breather in energy and banks uh, for sideways and down in the case of energy. And now it looks like they are in fact inflecting and maybe they could make a run, new, a run to new highs here, we'll, we'll see. But this shows us that they're not overbought, that's for sure. Question is, are they gonna stabilize here? And the answer usually is after such a dislocation, the answer is yes, we'll see. If you're listening to the 
podcast, you're going to get cut off in 52 seconds. Just go to hedgefundtips.com. Uh, it'll be the first or second post. The video cast is a YouTube video. Fast forward to minute 60. That will pick up word for word exactly where you left off, and you'll be able to catch the last 10 or 15 minutes. We've got a lot of good stuff, detailed stuff to go into. You definitely want to tune in for that. And then you may want to go back and look at some of the charts that we just covered on a sector-by-sector basis just to put a visual to the audio that you just listened to Um, because there is so much going on right now that we do try to integrate the visual so you can process it two different ways. Uh, Okay, so... The other aspect, uh, okay, so we acknowledge utility staples and big pharma had a hiccup in the past week or so. We showed that consolidation on the charts just now. We took the opportunity to top up some staples.